Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice, as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. You can't fake a great steak. You can enjoy a steakhouse experience a few nights a year or every night with your Auto Wild Grill. Sear in amazing flavor and moisture with 1,500 degrees of grilling perfection. A perfect steakhouse crust every time on your time. Bring your own steak and let Otto take care of the rest. Make your house the great steakhouse in your neighborhood for your family and friends. The Dietitian's Dilemma with registered dietitian Michelle Hearn is a YouTube series dedicated to discussing and exploring the potential to reverse chronic disease by returning to a more ancestral way of living with low-carbohydrate and ketogenic diets. Michelle discusses the current state of our nutrition guidelines and asks if they are designed with our health in mind. She also interviews empowered individuals and elite athletes that are thriving in ketogenic and low-carbohydrate lifestyles. We hope that you enjoy our episode today as we explore the ketogenic diet option in therapy and lifestyle. As always, please subscribe to Michelle's up-and-coming YouTube channel, The Dietitian's Dilemma. All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into my YouTube. My name is Michelle Hearn, and I'm a registered and licensed dietitian, and this is The Dietitian's Dilemma, where we talk about the current nutrition guidelines, how they may not be the best for everybody to follow. We talk to people who are following low-carbohydrate, carnivore, or ketogenic diets, and today I am super excited to have Nevada Gray with me. Thank you so much for joining me. This is awesome. I'm really excited. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and can you remind everybody, what is what is your Instagram? Um, where can people follow you? We'll, we'll do this at the end as well. Oh, sure. So I'm on Instagram at The Paleo Pharmacist. I also have a Facebook page called The Paleo Pharmacist, and I have a website, thepaleopharmacist.com, and I'm also on Twitter as Dr. Nevada Gray. Fantastic. Very cool. Well, for people who aren't familiar with you, if they've been living under a rock, um, can you tell people like who you are? Can you give us a little bit of a background about like your health journey and how you found the carnivore diet? Sure. So my entire life, I've struggled with lifelong allergies and kind of autoimmune processes. And then I developed polycystic ovarian syndrome in my teen years and ballooned up, gained a lot of weight, and just started having a lot of problems with my menstrual cycle. I was having a lot of uh, food allergy issues and just trying to figure out what it was that I could eat to feel good. So this was a struggle that had gone on my entire life. And then I decided, you know what? I want to go work in healthcare 
and see if I can solve these problems that I was finding within myself, but also be able to help other people because I have a real passion for science and medicine. So I started going to school and I dabbled a little bit in the Atkins diet, lost some weight, felt fantastic. And as I progressed in school, in the school nutrition classes, I saw, well, this isn't with the guidelines. This is what science shows. And I thought being in school, I was getting all this insider information. And I thought, this is fantastic. So I started following these guidelines. And long story short, during my 20s, my weight fluctuated up and down. And I decided... Um, because I was in nursing school at the time. So I decided to transition out of nursing to pharmacy school because I've always wanted to be a pharmacist. I had a chance to go. So I took the opportunity, went to pharmacy school, and I saw more and more of the guidelines. So I decided that's it. I'm going to get really strict and follow these guidelines and work out in the gym. And it's got, it's got to work. Long story short, I ended up graduating pharmacy school in 2010, almost 100 pounds overweight. I was obese. I was pre-diabetic. My polycystic ovarian syndrome was raging. I had all sorts of skin issues. I had swollen joints. I just did not feel good. I was starting to feel a little depressed and defeated within myself. And I thought, well, how can I help my patients if I can't even help myself? So at that time, I took drastic action, which is what most people do, and I hired a personal trainer because clearly it was something I was doing wrong in the gym, and I got turned on to the paleo diet. I started following Oxygen Magazine and all the models in there, and they had, you know, they were eating six times a day, so I thought, okay, that's what I have to do. So I went out. I had this container system. I was constantly meal prepping. I was in the gym for two hours a day, uh, and I ended up being able to lose about 50 pounds. And that was the most I had lost. And I thought, well, oh, this is amazing. I've, I've lost 50 pounds. But I was always hungry. I was always still struggling. My PCOS was up and down. I, my weight would be constantly up and down. My food allergies would flare. All of a sudden, I'd have a rash and I'd have no idea what it was that I ate that was causing that, or I would just have these generalized aches and pains. And then all of a sudden, I developed back pain. I, you know, for some reason, I just had back pain. This went on for two years. I went to my primary care doctor. He put me in, in physical therapy. So I was in and out of physical therapy. It would wax and wane. I was um, a person that never really went to the doctor except for my daily physical. Every year, I'd go to my physical. I would be told, oh, you're pre-diabetic. You need to lose weight. And I would just think to myself, don't they see how hard I am, I am working to fix myself? And nothing was happening. The, the needle just wasn't moving. And then all of, all of a sudden, one morning, my back pain came to a head. And I woke up paralyzed from the waist down after having two days prior just excruciating back pain. I was unable to move my legs. I was incontinent on my bladder. And what happened was a disc herniated in my lumbar spine at my L5-S1, and it came out central, which is a rare type of disc herniation, and it crushed the horsetail of the spinal cord, which is called uh, the quadequina, and that's responsible for the motor and sensory from the waist down, bowel and bladder, digestion, you name it. So that was um, compressed, and I needed to have emergency neurosurgery to fix that. So I had an emergent microdiscectomy where the disc pieces were moved off of 
the nerve roots and off the aquata equina, uh, what they could get to safely. After that, I woke up, I was pain-free for the first time in a long time. However, I could not feel most of my right leg and I had severe motor and uh, sensory deficit, deficits with foot drop. My left leg came back, my bladder came back, but I had to learn how to walk again. So that was a two-year process in physical therapy of correcting muscle imbalances and just trying to navigate how I was going to heal from this because quad equina syndrome is actually a very rare syndrome. Uh, what it is, is it's a constellation of symptoms that occur when that quad equina is compressed. The most common cause is a herniated disc. However, some people, uh, it can be caused by tumors, infections, complications of spinal surgery. And when that's compressed, it affects the uh, bowel, bladder, and your legs. And you have several red flags, such as the saddle anesthesia, excruciating back pain, unable to move your legs. They may feel heavy or asleep. Um, just a whole constellation of symptoms. So you're, that's usually diagnosed with an emergency MRI, and it requires emergency surgery. The unfortunate part is it's not studied a lot. The patients are not followed past two years. So I really had no idea what to expect um, other than I knew I had to do the physical therapy to correct the muscle imbalances, but I didn't really know what my outcome was going to be. Um, so I just started this journey of researching and empowering myself and creating my own healing protocol, uh, which has me where I am today. Oh my gosh. There's so many things you said there. I, the first thing I thought of um, that I definitely want to kind of highlight is that you, you know, as you went through, you know, pharmacy school, you had discovered like, oh, these are the nutrition guidelines. I'm all in. Clearly they know what they're talking about. These are the experts. And how, how frustrating and disappointing that is. And, um, you know, because like you said, you were doing everything you that the nutrition guidelines recommend. You know, we actually, um, I had Brian Sanders on not too long ago, and we talked about how, you know, as a, as a nation, we are eating significantly more whole grains. We're actually eating 9% more fruits and vegetables. We're eating significantly less red meat, yet we're getting, you know, sicker and sicker and fatter. And there's something that happens a lot in the medical industry that I've seen as a dietitian is often we, we blame the patient. Like doctors will say like, oh, the patient, if they would just eat better or they're just, they need to work out more. They're so lazy. Where often, you know, and of course there's exceptions to the rule, but I would say a good 90% of the time patients are doing their best to follow the guidelines. You know, they are attempting to eat, you know, in, in a way that aligns with the nutrition guidelines. Um, and then, you know, you had this, and from my understand, yeah, that it's a relatively rare syndrome, you know, the, the, uh, quad, I don't want to mispronounce it, quad, quad syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and it sounds like for you too, it wasn't like you had a major trauma. It wasn't like you were in a car accident or, um, you had an infection or a tumor. It's just all of a sudden over time, like you said, you had that herniated disc. Um, and what, what an amazing story though, that from all of a sudden you, you know, you couldn't walk. Like, you know, I think it's amazing what we take for granted that our bodies can do until it's taken away. And that you, you know, I feel like so many people would, would kind of throw their hands up and be like, you know, kind of take that victim mentality and just say, well, my life is terrible. I can't believe this. You know, like you said, yet that, there was a period of time I'm overweight and starting to feel kind of unhappy. And now, and now something so precious is just being able to walk without pain was taken away from you. 
And so, you know, you left it off as I decided to start my own health journey. And so I'm sure that's taken, <laughs> uh, you know, a bunch of different, different steps, but I would love to know, like, what did, what did you do? What did you, um, like you said, okay, I'm, I got to learn to walk again. Like how, how did that encompass like, you know, physical therapy and nutrition? Like, what did you decide to do at that point? Well, the first thing I did, which was go against my neurosurgeon's medical advice when he told me, do not Google this condition. So <laughs> I Googled the condition and I saw not many people were recovering. There was a lot of negativity associated with the condition. I didn't see a lot of research. So I flipped out. I paged him and I asked him, I'm like, I need to know, am I going to recover? Is this a possibility for me? And after I had woken up from the surgery, the first words out of his mouth where I believe you can have a full recovery, it's just going to take a lot of hard work. So I called him out on that. And I really wanted to know, is this a possibility? And he said, yes, I believe that this is possible. It's going to be a lot of hard work. You're going to have to focus on your physical therapy and getting yourself strong again. And that's pretty much the guidance that he gave me at the time. So I thought, okay, I can recover. I, you know, I have to do this physical therapy. I'm going to learn everything I can about it. And then I got off the phone with him. I called a friend and I was still really discouraged. It was probably the worst day uh, um, of my life. One of the worst days of my life. I called my friend and she said, why don't you get on YouTube and find people that beat the odds and start encouraging yourself. So I get on YouTube. The first interview I find is with Sean Stevenson was the co-host or uh, uh, host of the model health show. And he cured his degenerative disc and spine disease through fitness and nutrition. So this sparked my interest immediately because this man had herniated discs in the same lumbar region as myself. And he cured himself from something that was essentially not curable. So of course I wanted to know, well, what did you do? <laughs> so I created an Instagram account just to get in touch with him, which is how my Instagram first started. I love it. <laughs> and he was generous enough to respond to me. He gave me some podcast episodes that he had done where he had talked about his journey. And I pretty much listened to every interview that he did. And one of the things that was impressed upon me was you can create your own healing protocol. You just have to trust your body, feed it the raw materials that it needs to heal, get your mindset right, and create that protocol for you and show up every day. So that's what I did. After that, I started reading everything I could find on Quad Aquina. I searched the internet for experts that were looking to solve the problem that I had. So that's the number one thing I would encourage people is find people and seek out scientists and doctors that are working on your problem that are experts in that. Then I started looking for other people that beat the odds because I thought, well, even if they don't have my condition, because it's rare, because the chances of finding someone fully recovered from quad equina syndrome is probably going to be rare in itself, I'm going to find other people that beat the odds. So then I found Nisha Winters, who recovered from uh, stage four ovarian cancer. I found um, Logan Sneed, who came back from a stage four glioblastoma. And I started to find all these people that just beat the odds. And I'm like, what do these people have in common? And they all developed their own healing protocol, but they were also using the ketogenic diet. So then I sought out an expert in the ketogenic diet. And I found my friend, Vanessa Spena, who's the ketogenic girl. And she taught me how to do a well-formulated ketogenic diet, because from what I was reading, ketosis is neuro and motor protective. And I needed to do everything I could to not only feed my body the raw materials, 
for my aquatic equina to heal, but I also needed to protect these nerves and get them regenerating and um, functioning the best that I could. I also found that peripheral nerves, which the aquatic equina uh, is, they're a collection of peripheral nerves, are capable of regeneration uh, depending on how they're classified. There's several classification systems of nerve injury from Seddon to Sunderland. And depending on what's intact of the nerve and the size of the nerve, the peripheral nerves are actually capable of regeneration at one to five millimeters a day, depending on, like I said, the type of injury and what is still intact. So I knew that my injury was most likely ischemic. So I knew that, well, these nerves are stunned right now. They may be able to rewire themselves. They may be able to you know, work out the injury and the inflammation. I'll do what I can to stop the secondary injury. So the first injury was a physical one from the disc. The second injury is the chemical one that comes from all the inflammation that happens after the injury. So ketosis was protective of that. And that's, we, we saw that in the science. Also, there was some evidence for fasting and autophagy and helping to clear out um, all those debris and help save the nerves. So I started intermittent fasting. I tracked uh, my level of ketones and blood sugar because I was doing this diet as a treatment, essentially, because there was no treatment for quadra equina other than physical therapy. So I was doing this as a medicine. I was uh, doing this diet like my life depended on it. I tracked everything. I weighed everything. And I thought I was eating a well-formulated ketogenic diet. However, I was still having some allergy flares. I was still struggling with my weight, even though I was starting to lose weight. And I knew that I had to lose this weight because it was putting pressure also on my lumbar spine. So then I went through the process of, well, how can I better formulate my ketogenic diet to number one, solve the protein cravings I was having because I wasn't getting enough protein to give my body the raw materials and micronutrients that the nerves needed to repair, but also um, for my metabolism to work properly um, in the healing process. And then how, how can I put that together and still stay in ketosis? So that's when I found Craig and Maria Emmerich, and they were talking about the theory of oxidative priority, which looks at how does the body take fuels, prioritize them, and store them and use them. So for example, alcohol. When we take an alcohol, it's burned off. It's not stored. So the body's going to do that first. That's also a neurotoxin. That's the other thing I looked at. I needed to eliminate neurotoxins. So I had already got rid of sugar. Alcohol is a neurotoxin. So I wasn't going to do that. Exogenous ketones. My body would use those before my own ketones and potentially prevent my own body from making the ketones because I just wanted my body to make what it needed to heal. So that science was in its infancy. So I ruled out exogenous ketones. Then there was the carbohydrate issue. I came to realize, well, PCOS has to do with being insulin resistant. Prediabetes has to do with being insulin resistant. I'm insulin resistant. So I need to get my insulin down so that I'm not storing as fat, all, all these, you know, carbs that I was eating prior. So I got my carbohydrates down uh, to under 20 total. Then I looked at the protein. And, and one of the realizations that I came to was once you're fat adapted, the body can equally use your own body fat or the dietary fat that you're ingesting. So I realized I didn't have to 
eat fat just to eat fat. I could actually leverage my own body fat, which I needed to get rid of. So I took that into account when I was taking my fat in. I because I needed to make sure I had enough fuel. I needed to make sure I had the balance of the building blocks, which would be the protein, and then the fuel. So I upped my protein, lowered my fat, and then I started just phasing out my uh, carbohydrates because I really didn't need them. And then I would go days without even eating a vegetable. And I would think, oh my goodness, you know, because I was so conditioned, I have to eat these. I haven't eaten a vegetable. <laughs> but I felt wonderful not eating them. So then I researched, do you need vegetables? And that's when I found Georgia Eid and uh, Dr. Sean Baker started to come on the scene and he was doing this uh, carnivore diet. I saw him on Joe Rogan and I thought, oh goodness, this man's crazy. But then <laughs> listening to him, I'm like, this makes total sense what he's talking about. And then I looked in a nutrition book and a carbohydrate's not an essential nutrient. So I'm just like, okay, so I don't really need this. So then I thought, well, how can I further formulate the fat and protein so that I'm getting these building blocks and fuel, taking into account my own body fat? So that's when I found Dr. Sophia Clemens, uh, who, who is uh, one of the scientists at the Paleo Medicina Group, and I found the PKD protocol, which is a two-to-one fat to protein. So when I did the fat portion of that, I upped my protein and I measured myself to make sure I was still in ketosis, and I learned about gluconeogenesis, that it was demand-driven. So I wasn't too worried about my glucose, but I was more worried about that ketone level. And I was always within ketosis, even upping my protein and lowering my fat, taking into account my own body fat. And that was the change in how I ended up losing weight, optimizing my body composition. I ate intuitively, which was every other, almost every other day because of the way I was eating and my hunger cues. I started dropping the weight. I started noticing I was less inflamed. My eczema started going away. Um, my neurologic pain started going away. I had more strength. And the more weight I lost, the more pressure came off my lumbar spine. The more I could engage in those core and glute exercises, which were stabilizing the lumbar spine. I felt better overall mentally. And I just kind of went from there and I embraced a zero carb diet. And I did that for three years. Oh my God. So much you said in there is fantastic. Like first, the first thing that I like really stood out to me was like, you decided that like you could have your own healing protocol, Yeah. you know? And I think, um, you know, unfortunately a lot of times when, especially if you have a disorder or you have a disease or you have something that's, that's scary, you know, let's say cancer or, you know, my own personal story is when I, you know, when I was 12, I had a very serious eating disorder. And when I was in patient treatment, I, uh, I was told to sit, you know, sit down while my parents went and talked to the doctor, but of course no 12 year old does that. So I kind of followed. And so I could hear, and they told my, uh, the doctor told my parents I had less than a 10% chance of survival. Cause I was, I was about five feet tall and 57 pounds, you know? And so I, I think often, you know, we see, the medical professional will say something and people will internalize that like, Oh my gosh, I have, you know, I have this disease. I'm not going to be okay. You know, and it's scary, but we also have to remember those are, those are just, those are numbers. Those are statistics. Those are, that's not, that's not all encompassing, you know, and you have to ask like how many of those people decided, like said, okay, well, I'm going to develop my own healing protocol. Like you, 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 you said like four steps, like you decided, like, I'm going to, you know, my nutrition, 
I'm going to change my mindset. That's huge. I'm going to figure out how I can move my body and I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can, because I think that's what you really have to do. Cause it would have been so easy for you to just be like, Oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to walk. And my life is terrible, but you, you took it in your own hands and you're like, nah, you know, I want my life back. And you also, you know, were able to, to find this way of eating that, that is neuroprotective. It, it blows my, well, maybe it doesn't really blow my mind. I was going to say it blows my mind that we don't use a ketogenic diet more in the medical profession, but then, you know, <laughs> there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down with, with that. There's how the nutrition guidelines are. Um, but it is, you know, what we know about the ketogenic diet, it is, it is neuroprotective. We've seen people who do various types of chemotherapy that tend to have better outcomes when they're following a ketogenic diet. We know that it lowers inflammation and oxidation. We know that it's neuroprotective in the brain. And uh, in the, the, the last thing you said, that is something that I, I hadn't really heard of or thought about is that you can, you found you could stay in ketosis, but even when you increased your protein levels, because, you know, that's one thing that I've talked to several women specifically that have followed a ketogenic diet, but found that they, they were craving protein. They wanted more protein. And then when they transitioned over to more of like a carnivore diet, they actually felt, they felt better. And, you know, for me specifically, I, I definitely, you know, I, I follow a significantly higher fat diet, but I'm not, I, I, I don't know. I've never measured if I'm in ketosis, but I do eat quite a bit of protein, um, and I'm also, you know, I'm a, I, I run quite a bit, so I'm, you know, I'm dependent on gluconeogenesis. <laughs> but yeah, so so once you, um, how long did it take you from when you started the process of, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going through the ketogenic diet, then you went to the zero carb diet to to really be able to start to like walk again and be able to be physically active. So my whole recovery took two years, and it wasn't just the diet that I put into my recovering. Uh, protocol. I focused on the science and I chased the science with uh, from doctors and scientists that were solving my problem. But I also took in a whole health approach. So I was working on restorative sleep. So I made sure I had a really good sleep hygiene schedule because that's when the healing process occurs during the body. And spinal discs actually have no blood supply. So in order for them to get the raw materials to heal and for the spine to heal is through diffusion. So I was also working on making sure I got enough water and hydration, but the diffusion occurs during restorative sleep. So that was a, a critical component um, of that as well. The other critical component is what I like to call the quantum mindset. So we have a very Newtonian view of medicine. We look at it as the body, as mechanical parts. If it breaks, we fix it and we medicate it. We don't take into account the mindset of healing. And the reason I love quantum, quantum mechanics so much is that takes into account the whole wave and the whole um, you know, quantum universe and the effect that that has on the particle and, and the impact that that has on the body. So I developed this mindset. Uh, that I had learned from pioneers in epigenetics, such as uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton and Dr. Joe Dispenza, and really started meditating and visualizing my body healing and learning how to shift my mindset and work on um, the mindset that I had developed since I was a kid that maybe didn't serve me or sabotage me in some ways. So I basically had to call myself out on all my own bullshit and just <laughs> and work work on myself. Uh, the other thing that I worked on was the functional fitness. So I took all of that in, into consideration and just continued to chase the science and find 
scientists and doctors that were publishing papers on my problem and reading about it and just applying and taking data from here and there and extrapolating it and to see if it would work for me. So my full recovery took two years. After about a year, I had most of my function back from the waist down. I still couldn't really feel my right foot on the ground, which was a, a huge problem. When I went zero carb and eliminated carbohydrates, within, I would say six to seven months is when I noticed huge gains happening. And around the two year mark, I had everything back but two toes. I still have flares once in a while that let me know, hey, um, my nerves aren't quite normal. Uh, you know, one little trigger and I could, you know, have nerve pain or all of a sudden my muscle feels weak or, you know, my foot drop comes back, you know, in certain temperatures or if I'm not moving right. I had a few flare-ups of back pain when I've tried to add back in foods because I've done some allergy testing uh, since, since this time to see, well, is it possible to add you know, foods back in. And I've come to the conclusion that um, a majority of what impacts our health has to do with three factors. And these are three factors that Dr. Alessio Fasano discovered. He is one of the lead researchers of celiac, because that's another thing I tested positive for the gluten antibodies. So I, I probably have I most likely have a gluten allergy given all my other allergies. But he said there's three things. So there's genetic susceptibility, there's triggers, and then there's compromised intestinal permeability, which is leaky gut. So I noticed within myself and looking at the research of Dr. Clemens, when I went completely eliminating vegetables, something happened where my symptoms would disappear. I wouldn't have any of the little autoimmune and um, allergy symptoms. I was pain-free. I felt good. And I feel like that was fixing my gut. That was fixing um, my intestinal permeability. That was getting rid of, of triggers that I'm genetically, you know, susceptible for. It was like turning genes on and off. Like something was happening. I couldn't explain the science what was happening, but I had these results and something was happening. So I was trying to figure out, well, what, what is, you know, what is happening here? So I feel like through fixing my gut that that, solved a lot of my problems. Then when I try to add things back in or try to make, you know, subtle changes, I see, okay, that's a trigger for me. That's going to cause this. So it's been quite a process and I'm still in the learning process. I recently, after some allergy testing, felt brave and I thought, okay, um, you know, this spring I'm going to try to add foods back in. I was trying to add foods back in during a time of high stress because we have <laughs> I, I'm a healthcare worker, so I was working on the front lines every day. I wasn't yeah. sleeping well. So I think to myself, okay, that was not successful. I had a little flare up. Um, I had, you know, some joint pain. I had a huge eczema patch on my scalp. I'm like, okay, this isn't, you know, working for me. But if I had eliminated the other factors, such as the stress and sleeping better, would I be better able to handle this? Yeah. So I'm very passionate in empowering people to explore the ketogenic diet and the carnivore diets as a means for healing, because I truly believe that there are people that are more carb sensitive than others that have a genetic susceptibility uh, that are more sensitive to plants. One thing 
people don't talk about is people can be allergic to them. Um, you know, 30 to 40% of prescription drugs are derived from plants. And if you look at the side effects, they're neurologic, they're cardiac, they're GI, um, they're psychiatric. So those definitely exist within the plant kingdom. And, you know, some people are just more sensitive to others. Some people that are allergic to, you know, plant-derived drugs have problems with plants in real life when they're trying to fruits and vegetables. So even though this has not been extensively studied, it's, it's observations that I've personally made. And I feel that it definitely needs to be studied and that this uh, way of life should be offered as an option for uh, patients when nothing else is working for them. Yeah, you know, and I totally agree. And I, I, I wonder if this is where we should start, actually, you know, when people come in and they're inflamed, and they have all these, these issues, because, you know, I've talked to several people that said, like, hey, you know, it wasn't until I removed all the plants that I actually really started healing. And, you know, when I as a dietitian, when I go into the hospital, it doesn't matter, every single patient will tell me like, oh, I ate salad, I ate this, I ate that, you know, like they associate vegetables with good and, and fruits with good. Even if they're massively obese, they'll say, oh, I ate lots of salad, I ate lots of salad. When in reality, what we're, what we're finding and what we know is plants have a lot of different anti-nutrients. You know, plants have various things, you know, the word anti-nutrients, they, they have phytates, they have things that bind to minerals, they have lectins, they have oxalates, they have, um, you know, uh, trypsin inhibitors, they can actually prevent you from breaking down protein in the body. And some people react, especially the lectins, can actually cause um, intestinal permeability. Some people react so negative to those, but it's on such a low grade. It's not like someone will eat lettuce and all of a sudden, you know, their skin breaks out. They just may have some digestive issues, but over time, that can cause a lot of systemic inflammation. And like you said, this hasn't been, you know, well-researched or well-studied. And we kind of have in nutrition this, like, very broad, like, eat as much vegetables as possible. Where in reality, I, I feel like that's a really, really bad advice, you know, because unfortunately what we're, what I've seen is when a lot of people remove that from their system, at least for a period of time, I'm not somebody who's anti-carbohydrate. I eat some plants. I think you can eat some plant. Most people could probably have some plants. I do think they should be a very small portion of the diet. But my experience is when people, when their health has been compromised and they follow a very high fat or high meat diet and they remove a lot of those, you know, plant materials, healing occurs and not just the physical healing that like, you know, you had experienced, but also like emotionally, I've had people tell me like, I have never been so calm And my, I mean, when I decided that I was going to go carnivore. Um, it was purely because I was having severe muscle pain. Like that was it. I, I have been a lifelong runner. And for some reason I was, I was going on like two mile runs and I just broke out in a cold sweat. Everything hurt. I was waking up in the middle of the night with spasms, um, like sharp, horrible muscle pain. And so I kind of had a, a tipping point where like one, it was like two in the morning and I woke up and my muscles were on fire. So I like drove it to 7-Eleven and got like, you know, three pound, uh, three 10 pound bags of ice and put it in the bathtub. And it's like three in the morning, I'm sitting in the bathtub and my wife is like, uh, maybe we should not run so much. And I was like, well, if I'm not running as much, I was eating a very high carbohydrate diet. I can, I can try this, you know, low carb. I was going to go ketogenic. And then I came across the work of Dr. Sean Baker and Dr. Ken Berry. And I thought, oh, this, this makes more sense that maybe this will help heal my muscle pain. And, um, you know, at first my, my wife was like, no, this is eating disorder. This, we can't do this. Uh, and to her credit, she's seen me do a lot of, you know, interesting <laughs> things with my nutrition. Um, but I was like, just let me try this. And after three weeks, 
she actually was like, hey, come here, sit down. Uh, I'm not sure if I like this yet, but this is the best your anxiety has been in 11 years. Like, it was amazing, the shifts. And I think, you know, what, what happens, you know, you, you referenced the, the work of Georgia Eve, is that when you have that, you know, intestinal healing and you have, um, you're taking in that protein and you're not taking in a lot of those carbohydrates and seed oils, is your brain can actually, you know, we have those neurotransmitters in our brain, specifically tryptophan that, you know, goes to serotonin and glutamate can actually um, be functioning at the rate it's supposed to. We know when we eat a lot of seed oils or a lot of processed carbohydrates, um, it can actually kind of pedal to the metal glutamate to where, you know, you might have glutamate as, as high as a thousand times what it's supposed to be in your brain. And that actually prevents, you know, neuroplasticity. It prevents your brain from being able to uh, cope with stress and, you know, can actually cause or can contribute to anxiety. So it's just, it's amazing what happens when we shift this way. But, you know, like you said, it, it's not something that at least certainly as a dietitian that I'm allowed to recommend or to talk about. Um, we really are only allowed to talk about the standard American diet. And I think that, you know, seeing our current obesity epidemic and diabetes epidemic and the fact that depression is now the number one cause of disability in this country, I think we have to be open to discussing other possibilities, right? We have to say, like, you know what? This is something that is an option, right? Yes, I 100% agree with that. And we do know that in compromised intestinal permeability, I think it was a study in dogs uh, that had that were fed, I, I want to say pea protein, it, it was some sort of um, food that they that was not native to dogs. And they ate these, they ate the food and it caused intestinal permeability issue and traveled the lectins from from the pea protein, I believe it was pea protein, uh, traveled up the vagus nerve to the brain, sat on dopamine neurons and caused Parkinsonian symptoms in these dogs. So we know that there is that um, gut-brain connection. We know it exists. Uh, we also know that with the anti-nutrients that are in plants, they bind minerals, and we need minerals. Like, for example, iron. When we're inflamed, iron locks itself away. Dr. Paul Mason has given an amazing lecture on this. The iron stores get locked away, so the body can't utilize those for metabolism because you're so inflamed. Um, so what is iron responsible for? It helps make neurotransmitters. So you're not going to have the iron for that. You're not going to have the iron for the metabolism. You know, that's why you're, you're tired and, and you're inflamed. And sometimes the ketogenic diet, it doesn't solve the problems that we're looking for it to solve simply because we've added in foods that may not be serving us. For example, a ketogenic diet that most people do, it's a high oxalate diet uh, with the almond flour, um, the spinach, the chocolate, very high oxalate diet. So I'm not surprised that in some patients, you, you don't see the autoimmune conditions go away until you completely eliminate uh, those plants. But then there's also a way to go down to zero carb safely because of the oxalate dumping, which we now know about thanks to the great work of Sally Norton. So I think that while this is in its infancy, it's definitely something that does need to be researched. And I'm really encouraged to see that there's a study going on right now at Harvard for the carnivore diet uh, to be able to offer this as an option. I mean, the ketogenic diet is an option for patients that have epilepsy. It's the only instance that I know of where it's actually referenced in standard of care uh, for epilepsy. 
So I feel that definitely this should be an option for patients. I'm really passionate about furthering the research in this and answering some of these questions that we have. Because one of the questions I, I had for my primary care doctor, I said, how do you explain the results that I went from this eating a standard American diet to now this, the best body composition I've ever had, down 92 pounds, not pre-diabetic, not one cyst on my ovary, completely recovered from quadra equina syndrome. And yet I'm doing the opposite of how I'm being told to eat. I'm eating a lot of you know, saturated animal fat. I'm eating, in fact, all, an all meat diet with no fruits and vegetables. How do you explain this result? Should I go back to what I was doing before and just go back to being sick? Or do you accept me now in metab good metabolic health and good body composition? I'm 42 years old right now uh, on no medication. You know, and I only what did they say? What did what did they say? He couldn't he couldn't answer my question. He he said I don't know. So I feel like if when you look at these results, you know, look at the individual patient. And I'm not knock, knocking uh, plants or anything like that. I think that you know people should definitely follow the diet that best serves them. For example, if you look at spontaneous remission, and you look at the dietary approach of most people that had you know, spontaneous remissions. Uh, there's actually um, a, an author that wrote a book, which I, I'm blanking on her name right now, uh, but she wrote a book on the nine traits of patients that had spontaneous remission. And they did change their diet, but there wasn't one diet that stood out that healed them. It was more the belief in the diet. And it's more the belief that you're going to be healed and that you're going you know, to get better. So yes, the diet does play a role, but it's also that belief in it. And that's where I believe the quantum mindset is a stronger lever than any diet could ever be. Um, because it, it comes down to ultimately what your belief is. And one of the strongest beliefs that I had was the ketogenic diet was going to heal me. I believed in this diet. I embraced it. Even though I was, you know, unsure, I was, you know, I was scared because it was opposite of what I had learned, opposite of what I had been doing. But if I kept doing what I was doing, I was just going to continue to get sicker. And I ended up having a really good result. I've seen people go into spontaneous remission from stage four cancers on a plant-based diet. So is it the belief in the diet? These are things I, I truly want to explore in science um, to better understand this uh, for our population and be able to offer options to people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have always been a big fan of the mindset. You know, I think that's something that we, we don't talk a lot about. And that's something that I think, um, you know, as a, as someone who's like a runner and an athlete, like, you know, I've trained for thousands of hours, you know, running, but often we don't talk about like, how do you prepare your mind, you know, and how do you, um, you know, how, how do you practice uh, just mental, like the mind is a muscle, you know, practice. How, how can I get, I mean, for lack of a better word, how can I get my mind right? How can I wrap mm -hmm. my brain around? Um, cause we do know, you know, the thoughts that we put in our mind, you know, it, what we're seeing, what we're thinking, you know, does, does help create our reality. Um, so that's, I think that's really cool that you brought that up. Cause that's something that I don't think we talk enough about, but, and I think it's all connected. You know, I know for me, when I, when I started following, you know, a carnivore type diet and I started feeling better and then you, you start to believe again, you know, I started to dream. Like I literally had gone from like, well, I'm never going to be able to run again. I'm just going to have to accept that I'm too old, whatever. 
to, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run an ultra. Like I signed up for a 50 mile race. It <laughs> unfortunately got canceled because we're, we're filming this during the COVID, but I am planning on doing another one, uh, or if it happens in the end of October. Um, but yeah, when you, there's a saying that like, you know, you'll, if, if, if you tell somebody, you know, you can't, you know, you'll never be able to, you know, I can't, I'm going to get this wrong. But basically, you, if you decide you're going to do something, it's very difficult to, to sway somebody that they're not, you know, when you, when you believe I have a really good uh, friend, a college teammate who was diagnosed with um, stage four breast cancer, she had breast cancer, went into remission, and then got a tumor in her liver. They told her that she was probably not going to make it, you know, five more years. She's younger than I am. I'm going to be 37. And she just said, no, she said, no, I don't believe that. Like I, she said, I've seen the statistics, but you know, did all those people have the support? Did all those people have great treatment options? Did all those people, were they all a stubborn pain in the ass that just wasn't going to go down without a fight, you know? So mm -hmm. I, there's so much, and we know, and I, and I know that there's research that when you, when you believe and you feel something, you actually stimulate your immune system, you know? So mm -hmm. it is all yeah. truly connected. And I, and I also think that's another good reason to, it's very important that we surround ourselves with people that are like lifting us up, that believe in us. I've been so fortunate over uh, my life to um, be with people and to be with, you know, good athletes that have pushed me hard, to be with people that have supported me through, you know, my eating disorder, eating disorder issues that, that want to make you better. You know, those are saying that you're the sum of the five people you spend most of your time around. So if you're spending time around people that are, you know, constantly negative or doubting, then, you know, might want to reconsider your <laughs> your group of friends um but yeah no it is interesting because i i've asked the same thing you know i, w I was definitely the very odd dietitian that's bringing like a pound of meat for breakfast you know everybody else is eating their oatmeal and cereal and you know they asked me like how long are you going to do this is this just for your race and my answer is like you know i i felt better than i've ever felt you know i'm able to not only run i'm no longer hungry my energy is great i'm sleeping amazing um so it is interesting because it's like, do you want me to go back to what I was doing where I was hurting and a mess? And so, yeah, just some interesting, interesting thoughts. Yes. I always tell people, get yourself around where you want to go. Don't, don't keep yourself in those dead, dead spaces because you, you'll just stay in those dead spaces um, in your life. And one of the things, so I, I'm a big fan of essential oils. I compound a lot of my cleaning products because I detoxed my environment because there were a lot of neurotoxins in my environment from, from the chemicals. So in the essential oil world, we talk a lot about managing emotions, uh, managing, you know, our anger and, and managing our trauma and ma managing this and managing that. But we don't talk about releasing them, just getting it out of the body. Because when you're busy managing emotions that aren't serving you and they're really low level emotions, you're storing that in your body and that manifests as physical illness. And there's um, actually some science in quantum mechanics that talks about the vibration and the frequency of some of these emotions and how they match organs. And for example, um, you know, if you're having gut pain, you may have grief that you haven't dealt with. If, if you're having something with your liver, you may have some stored anger. Um, and a lot of times in spontaneous remission, which I find very interesting, people that know they're going to die, they go on a tropical vacation. They say, you know, screw it. I'm just going to go on vacation. They end up making peace with aspects of their life, healing. And then they come back and they go for a follow-up exam. And they have a scan and their tumor is completely gone. <laughs> um, so there is something to this. And I think 
where we're not talking about the emotional and spiritual component and the misalignment of life purpose. I think that having a misalignment of life purpose, managing poor emotions and storing them in the body rather than releasing them and dealing with them manifests as physical illness. And it's a huge component of why we get sick, but it's not talked about because it's considered, you know, woo woo. And I really don't care if I sound woo woo. I think it's a huge um, component that needs to be looked at, looked at, uh, rather than just the patients being viewed as, you know, this Newtonian machine with parts that we're just going to change out the parts and medicate, um, really get down into that subconscious operating system. You know, what, what causes us to have these habits, to have these behaviors, to, to have these sabotaging, you know, mindsets. We know that, um, I believe it's, uh, the Jesuits and, uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton has done some work on this, that your whole entire subconscious operating system is downloaded by the time you're six or seven years old, because you're in that theta brain state. So you already learned how you're supposed to respond to the world, but based on the environment around you. So you carry that with you and you, you subconsciously, you know, act out that. And you, know, when people are like, Oh, you're just like your dad, you're just like, you know, so-and-so it's like, you, you picked up these, but you're so unaware of it. Um, yeah. So that's what I really do in the meditative work. Um, and I like to, I did journaling. I really took a hundred percent responsibility for my life. Um, and I took responsibility for, even though I didn't know better at the time, once I knew better and I didn't act on it, then that was just on me. It was nobody else's fault. Wow. Yeah, that's that's something, that's another thing. I feel like we could do a whole talk on um, emotional management skills. You know, that's something that we, I think a lot of people aren't really taught. Like, how do we deal with emotions? Like you said, not just how do we process emotions, but how do we actually release emotions? And I know many of us growing up, you know, I have, now have a good relationship with both my parents, but certainly when I was a child, you know, if there was a, you know, a disagreement, <laughs> my mom, I didn't see my mom say like, wow, I'm really upset. I think I'm going to journal and go for a walk. You know, there was like fighting and screaming and all this type of stuff. So being able to figure out like, how, how can I process that and release that? And like you said, I think there's taking a hundred percent responsibility for your life, you know, cause there's so many, it's so easy to take that victim mentality. Like, Oh my God, I've lost my job. My relationship's terrible. My kids are annoying. I'm broke. Like, okay, whatever's happened. Like, and even if you've had major terrible traumas happen to you, it's certainly not your fault, you know, but it is your responsibility to, to, to process it, to release it and to move forward. Like, what can I do from here? How can I set myself up and take steps to move forward? And that's something that um, yeah, I, I don't think it's talked about. You said we kind of take people in the medical world as like very, very parts. Like we're going to give you medicine for this part or food for this part where it's all kind of this holistic thing. If we're going to address your nutrition, we have to talk about your mindset. We have to talk about your history. We have to talk about how you're processing emotions if we're really going to, you know, holistically work on the person. So that's, that's a really good point. And that's something, like I said, I don't, I wish we had more emotional management skills. Yeah. <laughs> give a resource for your listeners um one person i think is doing amazing in that space and helping people find strategies uh to be able to take their power back is mastin kip he wrote a book called claim your power i just sent him a message i'm hoping uh to have him on my own podcast cool. he's doing amazing work he wrote a book called claim your power i've read it three times now I think it offers actionable strategy that you can use in real life and really poses questions for you to think about 
um, because once you're aware of what is triggering you, you can work on realigning your hierarchy um, and, you know, putting your yourself, putting the universe, and then showing up and becoming your best version to be the best version for others. Um, so a lot of times it's a mismanaged hierarchy where you're living for other people and keeping other people comfortable and living for other people that may no longer be, you know, on, on this earth at the cost of not living your own life. And then you're on your deathbed and you're just loaded with regret. Um, you know, I'm a person that made a decision after what I just went through the past few years that I'm not going to be one of those people that's on my deathbed regretting that I didn't live my life. Um, so if I learn anything from this experience, it's just to go for it, align, you know, with what my purpose is and take action every day toward that purpose. And I, I can tell you, I'm a hundred percent happier than I was the way I was living prior to this injury. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I also think like, you know, when you do that, it's like the result is, is kind of, it doesn't matter that much because you're doing what you believe in and what you trust and you're kind of letting go of the result. I'm living for what I believe, who I am, what I'm about. Um, where often so many people are, they'll say like, I have to hit this goal. I have to make this much money. I have to do this. And then you, you compromise yourself or you're trying to please other people, which is just a sure way to, to be super unhappy. Well, yeah. And it also well, helps you understand other people and have compassion for other people because in learning about yourself and your own history and what triggers you and your own behaviors, you're better able to see patterns with other people. It doesn't make you a holier than thou person because you learn that, but you're able to understand uh, people better and where they're coming from. And a lot of people come from a place of fear and a place of hurt. And I think it allows you to be more compassionate um, for the struggles that other people are going through as well. And yeah. taking everything personally. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, I know everybody, everybody has a story, you know, I think um, it's always been my goal to just default to compassion, you know, because I don't know what somebody's struggle is and story is. And I'm, you know, I'm definitely a different person now than I was five or 10 years ago. And so, you know, we're all kind of on this journey together. Well, thank you so much. We are, we're approaching uh, 52 minutes. So I'm going <laughs> to wrap it up. This, I feel like we could, we're going to have to do this again because like, you have so much fantastic information, but can you tell people one more time, like where they can follow you? And we'll definitely like put that in the show notes. Oh, sure. So I have an Instagram called, um, the paleo pharmacist. I have a website, paleopharmacist.com. I'm on Facebook as paleo pharmacist. I'm on Twitter as Dr. Nevada Gray. And I also have a podcast, which I forgot to mention with my co-host, Chris Donahue. It's called the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast. And we love to interview people from all genres of science, business, fitness, and health uh, so that we can get the great work out there and for patients um, and general public just to be able to empower themselves um, with all this great health information and just varying views on things because I think uh, you can't just have tunnel vision. You have to look at both sides and kind of find the balance and application for what's going to work best in your life. Awesome. That's so great. Well, thank you again so much for your time and for all this information. I cannot wait to, to release this. This is great. All right. Well, you guys, thank you so much. My name is Michelle Hearn. Thank you for um, taking the time to watch this YouTube. This is the Dietitian's Dilemma. And thank you, Nevada. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast. 
We are now available on iHeart Podcasts and all of your favorite podcast listening platforms. As always, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. We love hearing from you. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, send us an email. Link in the show notes.